still a good song. So. <laughs> Thank you. Um, at this time, I, I'd actually, the, the children who are with us, um, I'm going to need some helpers throughout this message on a couple things. So I, I want to invite you to come real forward so you'll be able to see. Parents, you're able to come. You're already forward, Eden. You're, I'd like, I'm in the first you know, couple rows. I want you to be able to see and, and help me. Santa's not the only one who can utilize little people to get his work done today. Um, so, and if parents, you want to join them, that's fine too. But I, I, need, I want to have the kids near me, one, for their help, but also as the, uh, the alarm clock where I can see that I'm going too long. So, um, yeah, just uh, come on in. But as we... Uh, Today, we are not going to be using the, the PowerPoint for uh, the scriptures, and so make sure you're going to have your, your Bible ready as we uh, dive in together. But, you know, Christmas is an incredibly wonderful time, but at some point, I'm pretty sure all of us have faced disappointment with Christmas, right? We didn't get the thing that we wanted, or, or after all was said and done, well, there's just this feeling of, well, that's it? There's not more? You know, it's just, with all the hype, with all the buildup, with all this stuff, you know, we, part of us, well, some looking for something more, something extra. Now, one of my favorite stories of, of disappointment, and this is a, a good disappointment on Christmas, it was happened a few years ago, and, you know, we had a, a wonderful morning as a family at and, you know, unwrapped all the gifts. The kids were excited. And I noticed at some point Eden, was a, my oldest, was a little sad. She's probably, I don't know, maybe four, possibly five at the time. And I said, well, what, what's wrong, baby? And I was expecting the bad kind of disappointment. Like, I wish I had more toys. But no, it's just, it was, well, she was prepared for something else. See, all of Advent... I think my wife raided the library of every Christmas book that actually told the Christmas story and added it to our own thing. And so every single night we read a different story about Jesus coming into the world. And then when Christmas finally came and Eden's disappointed and she's like, well, I want to go see Mary and Joseph and the baby. And unfortunately, we couldn't take her to go see Mary and Joseph and the baby. But there is this, you know, precious disappointment that she had of, you know, well, there's something more. More than the gifts under the tree. More than the excitement. I, I'm, I'm wanting something more. And that was a, a really, really uh, you know, precious kind of disappointment in looking for the more than just the consumerism. Now, if you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 4. And if you have, using one of the Red Pew Bibles, it's on page 1187. And I am curious, are any of you children really good readers who would like to read for me. Yeah, here, here, come on up, and can, and so I'm going to have you read my Bible, because that's the one I'm using. All right, so we're going to read verses 1 through 7, so just from there to the very end of the, well, the column. What am I saying is that as long as the heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Their hair is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also a heir. All right, thank you so much. Good job. He deserves a clap for that. Very good job. So as, as Paul is, is talking to the Galatians, and he, he, you know, he, he, says, he says to the people of God that, hey, you are an heir. However, you have been a slave. And there's two types of slavery that he's talking about. He's talking about well, slavery to the law and slavery to what he refers as the elemental, elemental spiritual forces. And as he's talking about, you know, the slavery to the law, he, he likens it to, to when you were a child and you had to live under, well, your parents' rules. And sometimes, particularly in, in that day and age, they would have people who would oversee your upbringing. Now, oftentimes, children have special rules that they had to follow. Can you guys help me give you some examples? What are some special rules that you have that your parents don't have to follow? Yeah, Ethan. All right, we'll come back to you, baby. All right, what do you have? School. Oh yeah, yeah. All the rules in school. Like, what are some rules that you have to follow in school? Yeah, I saw that you raised your hand. That was good. Yeah. Stay in line. Yeah. That, that's good. All right. All right. Any, any other else? All right, let me ask you this. What time did you have to go to bed last night? Just, you, you can shout it out. Yeah. You're, nine? Okay. Oh, yeah, that's some generous parents. Okay. <laughs> you got home at nine. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> you stayed up till 10. That was not okay. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, our, our kids, you know, we try to get them to bed around 8-ish. And does mommy and daddy have to stay in bed till, or go to bed at 8-ish? I wish. But, no, we, we don't have to. Uh, you know, we oftentimes have different rules that we expect our children to follow. Sometimes they're just because they're good things. Sometimes it's because we realize that as children they're not going to make the best decisions, right? And we want them to be, well, we want them, enforce them to have the rules that are going to help them make good and wise decisions. And as they get older, they can perhaps put some of those aside. Or we're hoping that through the rules that we develop something about their character, right? We want them to be diligent, so we give them chores. You have to do these things. We want them to be grateful, so we demand that they say thank you for every gift you open today. We want them to be kind, so we talk about sharing. Even the toys that you get today. We want them to be sociable, so we'll have them limit you know, TV time or, or uh, 
or phones or something of that nature. And we want them to be God-fearing. So we have, hey, this is going to be a time of prayer and devotions. You know, we do all these things and put all these rules. And some of them are good things that you should continue to do. Some of them are things that you are going to have chances to, to modify as you get older. But, you know, as children, we don't trust you to decide your bedtime, do we? Because we know you're probably not going to make the best decisions. Or, you know, most of the time. We want you to be, you know, well-adjusted for the next morning. So we say, 7.30, get ready for bed. Or 9, because your parents are very generous. Um, but, you know, as you get older, some of these things that you're going to put aside. And, and Paul's talking, he's saying, you know, as, as God's people, it was like we were in a, in a state of, of childishness where the Lord had given us the law, this law to follow, and some of it, well, no longer necessarily, a, we, we can throw up. We have come to age. There's been a moment that, that Christ has freed us from what would, he likens to slavery under the law to stepping into our sonship, our, you know, uh, the, the, our full rights as heirs before God. And so some of these we're able to put aside. And he's saying, you don't want to step back under the law. And as, you know, the Galatians, they're dealing with, you know, people saying like, hey, listen, if you really want to, you know, be God's people, well, you need to start obeying all the Mosaic law. So men, get circumcised. Follow these patterns. Do all these things. And he's saying, no, no, no. Something has happened. We have received the spirit of sonship. We're mentoring into a new reality. And then there's a, a second slavery that he talks about. is slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Your Bible translations may be something you know, different, but you know, the Greek word is talking about stoicheia, which is basically element, elementary substances, and it can be used in a variety of ways. But it seems that Paul has in his mind talking about these spiritual forces, things that are not of God demonic powers that are raging. And he's saying, yeah, you were under these as well. You lived under their tyranny. And we, we still see this at some level. We see those who live under the tyranny of spiritual forces that, that are not of God. Men, women, and children who are blinded to the truth that, that God proclaims. People under the power and the dominion of sin, and they can't set themselves free from it. Or perhaps death and disease and darkness itself, all that seem to rage against God and his people and the whole world. And Paul's saying, you know, Christ has come to set us free from these things as well. The, you know, the, the spiritual powers that, that seek to, to reign and rule over us. We feel those oftentimes at Christmas a lot, don't we? I know many people have lost a loved one or a family member, a mom, a dad, a parent, or a, a child around Christmas time. And every time this time comes around, rather than bringing the joy of Christmas, it oftentimes brings sadness, despair, the idea that, well, not all is right in the world. However, Christmas brings a promise, the promise of freedom from this tyranny and this slavery. 
Now, have you ever thought about why we have Christmas trees? You have. Okay. What did you conclude? No conclusion. Okay, good. All right. Um, that would derail my sermon. All right. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you read some of the wrong sermon, you know, some people will say, you know, the reason that we have Christmas trees is, well, you know, it came from some pagan practices like Yule or Saturnalia, uh, you know, and they'll say, you know, Christmas is just a, a pagan holiday that's been, you know, reformatted for Christians. However, there is zero actual evidence, you know, historical evidence for such claims. The reason that we have Christian, uh, Christmas trees, that seems most likely, is that on Christmas Eve, there was a feast day tour, you know, for the saints of Adam and Eve. And that might strike you as bizarre. Like, hey, didn't they mess it up, up for everybody? But you know, the, uh, both the Eastern and the Western church had made Adam and Eve saints, and they would have a feast day. And on Christmas Eve, they would get a tree and bring it in and adorn it with apples, and rehearse the story of the garden. They, they would, and, you know, it was on Christmas Eve, and sometimes they would, you know, put with apples on it, and sometimes apples and wafers, uh, and sometimes they'd even put, like, a fake snake underneath as they rehearsed the story of, of what happened in the garden. Now, kids, do you remember what, some of the things that happened in the garden? Yeah? What What happened? All right, God made Adam and Eve. And then Satan, he, like, tricked them into eating the fruit from the tree that God forbidden them. That's right. That's right. All right, and then what, what else happened, Eden? And then they sinned. They sinned. Yep, they, they listened to Satan. And what was the result of them sinning? Does anyone know? You, you know? <laughs> what happened? They walked away. Okay. All right. They, well, they, okay. Yeah, I'll give it to them. All right. All right. Yeah. And then, you know, and then God, you know, something happened at that time after they sinned. Remember? And the world came under the, you know, rather than being under God's priest king of Adam, the world fell under the dominion of who? Satan. Right? It's just, you know, this is why, you know, they, he says, you know, the the, uh, this is why Paul calls him, you know, the, the ruler of this world. It is, you know, the world that's under his domain and dominion. And, but in the garden, and they would talk about this on Christmas Eve as well, after they rehearsed the story of Adam and Eve, they would point to the fact that, hey, something is coming. One's going to be born. Because in the midst of the curses that God gave on the serpent, he tells him this. He says, you know, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals that you will crawl on your bed, belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, which means like hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right? That God says, hey, there's going to be somebody who's coming, somebody who's coming who is going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to crush this, this one who, who's wreaking havoc, who's bringing tyranny of disease and darkness and death and sin into this world. There's hope. And that hope we celebrate today on Christmas, right? 
Because throughout the entire Old Testament, God gave them different ways to try to overcome, try to beat back the serpent. He gave them the law, but did the people follow the law? No, they didn't follow the law because their hearts were still under, under his rule. He gave them kings. Did, did that help? No, it didn't help. He gave them punishments. The t- turn back to me. That didn't help. He gave them a big government that rules over every aspect of their lives. But that didn't help. He gave them a small government where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But that didn't help. And time and again, all the things that God did to turn people, to, to release them from the shackles of the serpent, every time they were still ensnared. And they were waiting for one who was going to come, one who was going to crush the head of the serpent. And we celebrate that today on Christmas. The one that, that God has sent and when the fullness of time has arrived, when it's just the right time, God sent his son. Now, kids, I have here a nativity scene. Do you guys have a nativity scene in your house? Well, I know you do because that's, yeah, that's mine. Yeah, it's, I stole it this morning. Yes. All right. Do, you, does, do the rest of you have a nativity scene? Like something that looks kind of like this-ish? Yeah. yeah. What, are some of the, what are some of the characters in the nativity scene? The wise men, Mary and Joseph, okay, yeah. Baby Jesus, yeah, that's right, he's a pretty key figure. Yeah, Eden. The shepherds, all right. And the sheep. Uh, Anyone know anything else? Angels? Oh, yeah, there can be angels. Mine doesn't have angels, but yeah. Animals, yes, animals, okay, all right. Now, there's one more, and it's not here, that we're missing. Yeah, Eden. It's, well, no, it's not a star. There's another, and there's another, yeah. It's a living thing. All right, all right, yeah, Rachel. As, well, you could have a camel, but this is something different. It, and you, yeah, Josh. A stable, oh, you could have a stable, but yeah, no, it's, well, this is a living thing. No, we already said angel, baby. Um, all right, there's one other thing. Now, I, I, I have this thing right here. I need somebody's help to open this up. Can I have a... Yeah, right, okay, come on, Rachel. Okay. The anticipation's killing me. You're, you're going to feel really silly when, when it's opened up and you're like, I can't believe I didn't think about it. Oh, what is it? A dragon. Do you, do you guys not have a dragon in your nativity? No? no. What? It goes right here. You guys don't have that? What? Do you think there should be a dragon in nativity? No. I think you're wrong. Dragons are real. Oh. Well... I, well, I have a little video that we're that we're gonna that we're gonna watch together, and I'm gonna say that we should have a dragon in our nativity. Do we have that pulled up? All right, okay. There's a dragon in my nativity, dreadful and immense, 
The shepherds quake, the wise men shake, and spill their frankincense. The cattle are alone, and the baby is awake, while Joe and Mary tremble. Oh, this must be some mistake. There's a dragon over Bethlehem. I don't know how he came. I didn't think a donkey could have borne the dragon's frame. I don't believe the census had been called for such as him. And I'm certain that when dragon knocked, no room was at the inn. There's a dragon by the stable. I don't know why he's there. He hasn't bought a present, and he only seems to glare. He hovers over David's town, that still beneath him lies. Yet no one's sleep is dreamless, underneath his piercing eyes. This dragon isn't visible, with ordinary sight. You cannot snap a selfie, or televise his flight. Unseen he stands for every power that stands against the earth. The death, disease and darkness, overshadowing each birth. This dragon is an enemy of all that's good and true. This monster lies and steals and kills. He's coming after you. Above each crib, the dragon hovers, sure to swallow whole. Rulers, empires, beauty, joy, a flesh and blood black hole. But dragons always meet their match. They always meet their doom. A hero rises to the fight to cast them into gloom. And so at this nativity arose another player. The baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, he was a dragon slayer. He'd come to fight through Herod's plots, through dangers big and small. He took on evil, sickness, death, and triumphed over all. A dragon or a baby? Just who would win the fight? It wasn't really fair, you see. The child was a knight. From high above and long before, he knew what must be done. He knew the dragon waiting here. And still, he chose to come. There's a dragon in my nativity, a fierce and monstrous danger. But fierce is still the bravery and love within the manger. That's good, isn't it? Dragon in the nativity, the one who, okay, all right, okay, we'll talk about that when we get home. Uh, but yeah, that, the dragon who lurks, that, that you know, it's in the, as we hear in Revelation, who refers to, you know, the dragon as the, the serpent from old, the one who wreaks havoc over mankind. But, uh, you know, as the, as the poet there, now, you know, at this nativity, there arose another player the baby wrapped in swallowing cloths. He was a dragon slayer. So this, this morning, we, we celebrate, and as the people of God, we have this call to live as, as freed people, ones who live in the, in the aftermath of our great knight, our dragon slayer who has gone before us, before us who through death destroyed death, who treaded upon the, the forces of, of darkness and evil, the one who sets us free from the ravages and the tyranny of these dark spiritual powers, the one who calls us to be heirs, to be sons and daughters, calling on the Father as Abba Father. God has given it to us. And on this morning we have received the Son, and in that we rejoice. 
And so I call on you, children and adults, to look to the Son, to live as freed people, to live as those who, who, who have looked to the one who has, that God has sent to, to destroy these powers of darkness and to rejoice in him. And I know for those who have, you know, who have suffered loss during this time, where Christmas you know, talks about, or it, it brings out the, the feelings of, well, death and disease and darkness. Don't let that alone be the message. Don't let that have the last word. Because there is one that was sent at Christmas who has defeated death by death for us. Put your hope in him. Rejoice in him. Find the peace that he offers. And in him, we, we find our life. And so I would say children as well. If you, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you haven't believed in him, if you haven't if you said, I want to give my life to him and, and live as, as, as he's called me to live, today is the day. Now is the time to say yes to his call and to, and to be free as, as he's called you to be. With that, I want to invite up the worship team as, as we pray. Kind Father, I give you thanks and praise for your grace and your goodness to us. I thank you this Christmas morning for, for all that you have provided for us as your people. I thank you for these children whom you've called by your name. And I ask that you would, for each of them, that, that you would grab hold of their hearts, as, for, as with us, to grab hold of our hearts, to fix our affections on you, that we would love you and walk before you with whole hearts. Lord, we pray this, that you would receive all glory and honor and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. earlier and we're being too chatty up here today but I know I'm getting older because through the message I have two quick stories for you. One is about my parents making me go to bed at 8.30 until I was in ninth grade. And now I would die to have someone tell me to go to bed at 8.30. <laughs> but no, I, tell, I teach middle school and I tell the middle schoolers that but I also tell them my parents knew that I needed my sleep. I was always one who needed my sleep. So that's my first story. My second story is this. Every time we talk about um, crushing Satan's head, I think about the story that Dave tells when he was um, a junior in college. He had a chance to go on a missions trip to Haiti. And the um, house they were staying in, they went in one night and they turned the light on and there was a fuzzy spider on the floor and so they got it into a jar and they called the the person who was hosting them and and they're like we we caught a tarantula and the guy goes yeah dumps it on the ground smashes it with his bare foot and that's the picture that I see of Jesus crushing Satan's head okay that's all I have to say today <laughs> So we're going to close with the familiar hymn, The First Noel. Let's stand and sing this together this morning.
scene to remind you that, well, God has given us a dragon slayer. And with that, I say, uh, go forward, and uh, God bless you, and have a merry, merry Christmas. Bye-bye.